This is episode 71 with Paul Klingen. Welcome to Athletic Mindset. I am your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Paul Klingen, founder of Down Dog Athletics and former baseball player at Washington State University. Paul found himself struggling with performance anxiety during his baseball playing days, and it wasn't until he found mindfulness in his life years later that things began to turn around for him. Now, Paul helps athletic-minded individuals bring a mindfulness approach to how they move their muscle. We share a lot of the same mission and training practices, so I'm excited to share his insights with how you can start taking a more mindful approach today. Paul, welcome to the Athletic Mindset, man. I am excited to have you on here, coming all the way from, we're on opposite coast right now. On the east coast, your west coast. So I appreciate your time. How are we feeling today? Feeling good. We actually just put our Christmas tree up yesterday, and obviously that's super early and super aggressive, but I was like, man, if 2020 can give me anything, give me an extra two weeks of Christmas and some music and a Christmas tree, I feel like I deserve it. I feel like we all deserve it. Like, if you want to put up stuff right now, like, let it rip. You could have put it up in June. Like, no one would have have cared. (laughs) Yeah, right? I might leave it up till February, too, and just be like, no, we're just going to enjoy this while, while we can. Uh, but good, man. It's a, uh, you know, typical Seattle morning, rainy, dark, and dreary. But gotta love it. Best I day. I love ever. it. I love it. Yeah, perfect. So, how'd you get into baseball? Your background is as a catcher. You played collegiately for a few years. How'd you get started in that? Yeah, man. Baseball was probably the thing I played the most growing up as a kid. If you ever had a cul-de-sac that you could go play, right? Mm-hmm. There's like three houses depending on how the cold sack set up and you got like the lower level of the house and the upper deck. And so left field, center field, right field, like we would just play all the time, tennis ball and you just lob it up. And like, that's the first kind of memories I have grown up and playing baseball and we'd play it all the time. And just growing up, it's like T-ball and I know they have little league. We played pony, which is a little bit different where you can lead off at age like 10, 11, 12. And from there, that was really my main sport. And going into high school, I remember the summer before the college, or not the college coach, the high school coach was basically saying, hey, we have zero catchers in the log. And my summer ball coach was saying, dude, just go to these catching camps, see what you can do. You'd be able to start. And so I was like, okay, sweet. I'll do that. And picked it up pretty quick and was able to be a catcher for your varsity at a school just north of Seattle was 4a i'm pretty sure you guys have 4a over on the east coast it's all over the country but yeah i remember being a freshman and playing with these guys that were just huge and seemed way more mature yet i was able to catch and squeeze it. it's really good defense defensively and the bat picked up as i got older and that's ultimately what got me a scholarship at washington state was the ability to throw guys out the ability to handle pitching staff and receive really well block really well and the hitting stuff came along with that as well. But I was definitely athletic throughout growing up, played baseball, basketball, football, hockey, track. I remember running cross country in middle school. Anything I could get my hands on, I was doing. And luckily I had some friends who were super active and fit. It's like I missed that window of mm-hmm. Halo and Call of Duty where my younger brothers got into that and played it a ton. And for me, it was you leave your bike in the front yard, you play sports until mom calls you in and rings the dinner bell and there's cornbread 
and you know whatever else his mom made and you're like all right sweet i think that definitely helped my development as an athlete just you hear a lot of conversations around you know at what point should athletes specialize and mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that i subscribe to and this worked for me is be an athlete first and then layer on the technical pieces in the sport specific training once you've developed a really wide array of, of motor patterns and just overall athleticism i love that we can dive into that all day long i am a firm believer of like diversifying until probably later like probably like what you did in high school even you know it's you're not going to miss out on a college scholarship by waiting until freshman junior even like junior year of high school like then specializing in that I'm on the flip side. I actually, I was between swimming and baseball and I gave up baseball in sixth grade to focus just on swimming. Interesting. Yeah. I looking back on it, like I loved swimming, but I wish I like tried some other stuff too. um, Besides just those two. In, in college, my girlfriend swam and I will say the ability to be in a warm pool during Mm. the winter in, in Pullman, which is where Washington State is, we would play in 10-degree weather, snow on the field, just freezing 6 a.m. all the time from practices, and then games would be cold as well. And that's one thing I envy about like basketball, swimming, volleyball, is it's short weather all the time, right? Or it's swimsuit weather all the time. So yeah. I, that said, I, I can't swim, and my shoulders hurt just thinking about the butterfly stroke. So, <laughs> so I'd say it's probably one of those nice indoor sports, especially up in the Pacific Northwest. It's yeah. Definitely. Uh, you have some beautiful facilities up there. I had nationals up there one year at federal way. Good, yeah. good place. So good memories. Funny, there. I actually remember going to that and Missy Franklin was swimming for Cal and she had just won the gold medal. And I mm. walked by her and her fingers were 17 inches long. I was like, no wonder this girl's winning, winning every single event. She's got like, frog toes and frog feet and she's six foot one. It was crazy just to see the level of athletes at those championships she's she's incredible to watch it's it's insane back to you in baseball right yeah <laughs> that's why we're here what was that transition like to washington state from high school how did you acclimate there yeah honestly i would say the acclimation was not great and i think it's going to be the case for just about anyone who's mm-hmm. going into division one sports from a high school level no one's ever really ready unless you're Derrick Henry and you're just born giant and bigger than everyone else. But I think the two things that really held me back and made that transition even harder was one, because I was so athletic growing up, I never really, I would definitely try, but things just came naturally to me. So baseball, all those positions, I could go play any position came naturally to me. Hitting came naturally to me and never really took the time to work with more of like elite coaching, elite hitting and understanding why that was important and making sure that the swing would translate from high school up to college. Cause there's a huge jump from 82 degree fast or 82 mile an hour fastballs and 95. Like I remember playing Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer and they were both on UCLA at the same time. Looking back, that was <laughs> quite a weekend. We actually beat Trevor Bauer in UCLA, but anyway, that's a side point. The big thing was I didn't, have this mindset that I had to work hard because everything came to me. And so going to the gym was a foreign concept. I remember the first week training, they're teaching us how to power clean and I'm using the bar and maybe 10 pound 
bumper plates. And I spent the first week throwing up just because I'd never put my body into that kind of stressful situation from a gym standpoint. Again, it's 65 pounds on the bar. We're not doing, I was not doing mm-hmm. what most people were. I was with like the freshmen and the guys who had never been in the gym before. And I was really struggling there. Then add in the mindset of, oh, I don't really need to work hard because I'm like naturally gifted. And I would kind of buy into that narrative where friends would say, hey, you're so smart. You don't need to try or study or you're so talented. You don't need to train. You can just show up and be better than everyone else. And when you're in high school, it's really easy to be like, oh, yeah. Like that's totally true. And then boom, that transition happens to college. I'm now weaker than everyone. I now don't put two and two together that I need to be hitting two hours before and two hours after every single practice. And, but I was still thinking, oh, I can just put in the bare minimum and I'll still grow. And I think that was the biggest thing that held me back was not only did I put in the bare minimum, but then I would get into situations that I wasn't training myself to be successful in. And then I would get really bad performance anxiety. And that's probably the biggest thing that was new from high school to college. High school, I could throw a guy out from my knees blindfolded. I was so confident there. But I would put it in the work there to develop that kind of confidence. Same thing with with hitting, but hitting is easier at that level, obviously. And then you get to college and every single practice, every single drill, every single game. Like I said, I was a defensive specialist. And so Mm -hmm. I would come in in the ninth inning with our closer against Oregon against Arizona state, which was kind of a a unique role. So I'm basically sitting in the bullpen for most of the game. And then if we're up one or two or three, I'm coming in in the ninth inning and maybe I'm super cold or maybe I'm just watching the game the entire time and be like, wow, I really hope we like are up four and I don't have to go in. And it's just because I never, it, it came from not doing the work to feel confident in whatever situation that I would put myself in, if that makes sense. And so the performance anxiety would just cripple me where I would be like, oh man, I hope we hit into a double play here so I don't have to bat as I'm on deck. Or I really hope that they score or I don't have to go in with the closer because we're now down and so it doesn't make sense for the closer. We would throw the ball around before games in warmups and I would have a ball in my hand and a ball in my pocket because I had such bad yips that I would throw it into left field like two, three times uh, a week. And it's, I've made that throw a million times. It's a 90 foot throw yet. I had allowed my confidence in myself and that performance anxiety to just really cripple me. And that ultimately is what led to me being at the end of my sophomore year. Like I've hit my ceiling. I'm never going to grow. I had this like really fixed mindset to be blatant or to be blatant and I remember going mm-hmm. in to the year review with all the coaches and we're going to assess my year and I was just like hey I just want to let you guys know like the juice isn't worth the squeeze for me I've hit my ceiling I'm going to hang it up and I, I truly believe that I thought that I was maxed out on my physical potential when I had put in 10% effort and was still a sophomore and had so much room to grow that's where I get really passionate and I honestly have a dream. The dreams have gotten a little bit better lately, but for a while, last year, I'd say every month or so, I have a dream that I'm back in college, back out of practice or back at a game. And I'm like looking for my glove or I'm looking for my bat. And all I can hear myself screaming is go to the gym, go to the batting cage and put in work. And it's like me telling myself, my younger self, like, Hey, I wish you would have done this. And now when I'm looking at like my why or different people that I want to work with, it's like, man, if I would have had this, the tools and the mindset that I have now back when I was in college, like hundred percent could have played pro ball. 
for several years. I had the physical abilities. I just didn't have the mindset necessary to one handle when that anxiety or that nervousness or excitement did come up. But then also just the belief that, dude, if you grind your ass off, you can get pretty far, especially in baseball, which is a skill-based sport. Like Jose Altuve is like four foot one. All right. It's like, it's, you're not limited because you're not a six, nine guard. Right. Whereas other sports like football and basketball, it is very body contingent. So, uh, I mean, that's my, my big transition and story and why for everything that I do now. And even when I'm working with like high school athletes, the conversation I have is a lot more around mental health, mental performance, and the different things that you can do to, to make those work for you. Yeah. And what's really interesting, probably right around that time where you were deciding, okay, do I keep playing or do I hang it up? I'm sure the mental health and the mental side of things wasn't a very hot topic, wasn't very talked about. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, my sophomore year, we had a guy named Brian Kane. Yeah, I've had him on the podcast, actually. Okay, yeah. So we had Brian Kane. And it's it's like very mental performance, peak performance is what he called it. And Mm -hmm. I remember we... Paying him a bunch of money, I sat down in my one one on one with him and would just kind of like talk about my self doubt. And he's like, "Here's a brick. Hold on to this brick." I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "You're gonna hold on to that for the rest of the season?" I was like, "Oh no, I'll set it down." And I definitely believe that there's always a spot for sports performance, mm-hmm. but if you don't get deeper to the levels of why that's like a deeply rooted issue, which is where like kind of the mental health would a clinical therapist have helped at that age? Maybe, probably. But it's like the same way you have a physical therapist and you have a sports performance trainer, mm-hmm. right? There should be a, a mental therapist and a sports performance coach, right? If if I get a if I get a, a strength and conditioning coach and he's telling me to squat five hundred pounds, but I've got a really bad like knee, like valgus or like whatever you want to call that would be like an inefficient movement pattern doesn't matter how good the programming is. I got to fix that and clean that up in like a slowed down, much more aware environment that you would with a physical therapist. Yeah. It's funny. You touched on it there. I'm a huge believer of just getting clear on the foundational movements, but then taking a step further, like foundational mindset, foundational, everything like that needs to be addressed first and foremost, whether it's past traumas, past beliefs, all those old stories, that needs to be looked at prior to trying to just like throw these strategies on top and just like, all right, it's just duct tape. Like the brick method. I know I'm very familiar with it. Like it's a fantastic analogy. Awesome. But if you have all this other underlying stuff, that analogy is not going to serve you when push comes to shove and it kind of shows in your story. Right. Yeah. And I think it shows in a lot of people's story. You hear a lot of coaches, that are either hard asses or they are the player's coach, right? Mm-hmm. And the best coaches are the ones who are able to identify where a player is on a, met- a mindset spectrum and be like, all right, this guy I'm going to drive into the ground because I get the most out of him that way. This guy needs to have some sort of positive reinforcement because he's already sitting there telling himself he's trash nine times out of 10. And so if I go and tell him he's trash, well, we're just spinning that loop and that reel even faster. Mm-hmm. And to bring it back to the, the physical analogy, the more stress that you add, whether it's intensity of, of speed, of weight, the more likely some sort of crack is going to show in that foundation. Even, mm-hmm. even the people with the best form, 
eventually you're going to start to see some shaky form in a squat if you load it up really heavy. Well, mm-hmm. when you have someone who's in a practice situation or maybe you're playing like little sisters of the poor, it's not really a high stress situation. You can handle it, right? Your foundation's pretty good there. But then all of a sudden you're playing in Omaha, or you're playing UCLA and it's the bottom of the ninth. Like that's more high stress. Your brain's got to have that motor pathway hammered as like a freeway that it will always take. And that's what mental training and physical training is, is you're training your mind to make the correct decision under the most stressful situations. And again, like that's where I'm like, man, I wish this would have been something that was talked about more, not even like mental health would have been great as well. And we can talk about that more as well, but mm-hmm. just the importance of that, because if, if that's not there, it doesn't matter what you do from a physical standpoint or what you have from a physical standpoint. You see people all the time that have all the physical tools in the world and they never pan out. It's like, why? Well, it's like, there's your answer. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to, I'm a firm believer. It comes down to that mindset is going to be pretty much your make or break separating factor. It's what it, you know, the people that are mentally strong when like you guys lock eyes, like Sam tool is a good, perfect example of this, right? If you were racing him and you all locked eyes with like 800 meters to go, like who's going to win. It's going to be the guy that's more mentally tough. You're quite the runner yourself now though. I was, I was doing a little research, saw, saw you running some marathons. Do you think, I mean, one, you broke three hours, super impressed there. But do you think marathon training and having that experience under your belt from a mental standpoint helps you with other areas of your life now? 100%. I think, in, and any kind of training is going to do this, right? You could mm-hmm. say the same thing about a really hard CrossFit workout. You could say the same thing about like, attacking a barbell because you're going to go deadlift or bench press or squat, like whatever it is, there's going to be things, but the more that there's good analogy, this is is baseball and is golf because there's so much time to think in between execution, right? In a football, it's like bang, bang, bang. Like you don't really have time. I call it the, the light and the dark side. And I call it the dark side because it's, it's the same mindset like a lion would have or someone who's like super focused on like in kill mode. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Star Wars fan. So it's like, all right, Darth Vader's like, I'm going to kill you. Like he's in that mode. And when that's going on, you're so hyper-focused that other things going on aren't existing. And so a lot of people can be successful in there because they're hyper-focused. Then on the other side is the really slow down where you can let different thoughts come in. But the people who might struggle in golf or baseball are the ones who their mind just goes out of control the 10 minutes in between shots or the, the one minute in between pitches. And so that's where like, I believe it's super important and where marathon training is really helpful is you have so much time to just sit with your thoughts. And if you're able to sit with them and not be overwhelmed, like mm-hmm. sit next to your doubt, sit next to your stress, sit next to, you know, like your fears and be like, Hey dude, like, or Hey, fears, thoughts. Like, I see you. I'm not going to let you take control of me, but like, I see you here's how I'm going to like handle and manage it. And when you're in a marathon, you have plenty of time for those thoughts to come up, whether it's, it's the training beforehand where you're slugging out eight minute miles, or if you're art, like when I was doing my sub three hour marathon, there's a lot of thoughts that go on in those three hours, but that's where mental performance and mental training and, and creating this mindset of talking to yourself versus listening to yourself mm-hmm. becomes really, really powerful. And that's, that's the big thing that I took away from that is, all right, wow, I can do that. And I I definitely trained hard. And I definitely think that 
if I were to train for a year or two, right? Could I run a 245? Probably. So I'm like, man, I just put in four months and never ran more than a half marathon before. And I was able to do that. Like what else am I capable of? And that's like, that's the whole, th- the whole point of training or like going to a gym or training for a marathon is you're just creating evidence for yourself. We're able to say, wow, two years ago, I couldn't do that. Now I can. Well, now I'm running into a situation where I'm saying I can't, or I don't think I can, but I've got evidence that I've climbed that mountain before mm-hmm. probably do it again. And like, that's, that's the whole point of really like not whole point, but that's the value in training for something like a marathon or training for something that's measurable where you like, you couldn't get there literally scientifically, you could not get there. And then now you can. Yeah. That's actually one of my favorite activities that I do when I'm coaching other former athletes through like their transition is really getting clear and writing out their past story, whether it's a physical accomplishment, a accolade that they received, but what went into that so that they, they can turn to it when the going is going to get tough now because I feel like when we get so hyper-focused on the now, which is like great, but we like forget we were like, we're badass athletes. Like we, we've done all this stuff already. And now it's like, we're hit with another wall. It's just a bump in the road. It's not the end of the road. Yeah. And I think the people that handle the transition and the shift in identity from being an athlete on a team competing mm-hmm. to a job in sales, a job as a CEO, like a job at McDonald's, like whatever it is, you don't necessarily have to lose. And this is something that I actually gave up when I quit baseball. I was like, man, I'm not an athlete anymore. I kind of like shed that identity and shed Mm -hmm. that belief about myself. And in that running that marathon, I was like, wait, I'm the fucking savage. Sorry, swearing. But like, I I believe now that like, (laughs) I'm as athletic, I'm, I'm more athletic and stronger and way better than I was 10 years ago. Like if my 29 year old body or brain could be my 19 year old body going to the league. Like I don't even care. Like I just like believe that so much. And the identity shift that athletes have to go through. It's like, if you can hold on to like, I'm always going to be a competitor. I'm always going to be looking for growth. Like that's really the mindset that is the, the, the string that pulls through with everything in life. Like, yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. You're not on a team. You're no longer playing on TV. You're no longer having people wait on your hand and foot you know, cause you're, you're like an athlete, but it's like, there's still so many opportunities and, and arenas for you to go in and apply the exact same skill sets that you have. And a lot of people and this happened to me where it's, you, you shed that, that robe of athlete and you think, Oh, because I'm not an athlete anymore. Like I can't do this, but it's like, dude, whether it's at CrossFit or whatever it is that you're doing, like you want to go and approach life with that exact same mindset as you're going to play usc like there's no difference it's just instead of it being usc trojans it's john bob at like your company or like whoever you're presenting to i don't know but you just gotta take that same mindset and just apply it to something different yeah it's taking those themes from that old book and just applying it to whatever the next chapter is it's not completely closing that book i think that's the where a lot of the disconnect is occurring for athletes as they transition out, they think that it's like, you try to do it first. Like this isn't me anymore. This is, I need to reinvent myself, but really it's not really, you just need to pick and choose what you're taking with you and how it's going to serve you best in this moment. What have you found from your playing days has served you best now as a coach with down dog athletics, all the stuff that you're doing, 
what serves you best now. Yeah. Honestly, I think my failures serve me better than anything because it's an emotional reason why. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I'm like, I quit quit my job at Amazon two and a half years now, or August 2018. So I left like a very good career in at a tech company that's pretty good. I think people have heard of him. And yeah. I was just like, I'm so convinced that like this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is my reason why. And there's other reasons why that I want to continue to work and, and help people. But if I wouldn't have had that and didn't have that pain point, like I couldn't have created that what I call like a dark side trampoline or it's like you, you have a dark place and you have this emotion. People like don't want to feel emotions. And I'm always like, no, like feel it and use it as this little trampoline to catapult yourself off. And so like the fact that I have a dream about my playing days at Washington state, I'm like, wow, like every day I wake up and have that dream. I'm like, that's why we're, that's why we're up at 5am. That's why we're going to go and do what I don't want to do is because I either got to help other athletes not run into the same problems that I ran into. I'm not going to quit like I did previously. And don't get me wrong. There's definitely good things that happen from it that I'm taking with me. The, just Mm -hmm. my comfortability with the gym and, and training really athletic. I didn't realize how valuable having like a trainer, nutritionist, all that equipment is until you got to go pay for it yourself. Right? If you know, I was going to go hire all those same people, I'm spending thousands of dollars and the equipment that we have is tens of thousands of dollars. And so I'm like, great. I now have, you know, two years experience using just about any piece of equipment, bunch of different training types. So definitely took that away. Definitely like the relationships that I have with guys. You know, the other day I was lifting with a guy that played third base and played for the Rockies and you know, we'll always be buddies and we're able to kind of bond over still wanting to chase. Like he, I ran my marathon in August, two weeks ago, he ran a marathon with his wife. He's like, yeah, dude, you inspired me. And he was like, I'm never going to run a marathon earlier in the year. I walked by him. I was like, dude, I'm training for a half marathon. You should do it. He's like, no way. And then over the course of six months through my actions, I inspired him to run a marathon. His wife ran a marathon. And it's like, those are the kinds of things that like those connections I think are, are super valuable and, and just being able to still surround yourself with the same guys that it's like, it's the same mindsets and the same types of people that you have in a locker room that you mm-hmm. can find in other areas. And you're just trying to constantly like put yourself in those locker rooms for different areas, whether it's like, boom, like these people are really good with how they treat their significant other. Like, boom, I want to be in that locker room. Like that's a winning environment. These people are really good with like what their goals are financially. Boom. I'm going to put myself in that winning environment. I look back to all the stuff that Brian Kane taught us. Like what's important now when I said that on a call with some high school players the other day, and there's, you take advantage of how many cool things happen in college sports or pro sports, whatever. But if you take all those lessons, all those experience and all those connections, and then just, apply them to something else you got years ahead yeah no i think that's huge i was thinking earlier the other day i was like damn like a medal doesn't really do you anything it doesn't really give you a lasting like opens the store just like meeting someone one time doesn't change your life forever you have to cultivate those relationships and i think that's what sport teaches you so well is you're able to just cultivate relationships with other people. That's what I love about this podcast is, you know, I stopped playing baseball in sixth grade, but you and I can sit here and have a more in-depth level conversation because I have that mutual understanding of what you went through and vice versa. What I want to touch on there is you mentioned how you can pick and shoot the locker room culture. 
what I want to talk on is now you can pick and choose your locker room, which I think is awesome because you can't always do that when you're in your playing days. What are some ways that you go about intentionally choosing the people that you're going to surround yourself with that you know are a like-minded or mindset focused like you are? Yeah. The, I think a good way of doing this is picture like a Venn diagram, right? Mm-hmm. And the Olympic rings is kind of like seven or eight. I don't want to do the math, but a bunch of Venn diagrams where there's a lot of different things, <laughs> right? But it's a lot of different overlapping. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. how many different t- areas are there of overlap? Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, I am my own circle of athletics or training in, in that world. Just in the last week, and this is like a, a string through it, but finding people who maybe are entrepreneurs or people who are constantly trying to grow, but they're trying to grow in a completely different field. So I went and shot hoops with a guy who works at DocuSign and crushes it in, in tech sales. The other two days before that, I shot hoops with a guy who started his own financial service company and works at Salesforce. And it's finding people who are kind of crushing it in their own arena and they're using the same tactics, the same mindsets that you are. But now what's really cool about that is I don't need to go and get my CPA and become a financial advisor. Like I now have people that I can learn from that are experienced and leveled up in that. I played a ton of video games growing up and still enjoy like a good game of FIFA every once in a while. But it's, it's kind of like the same idea that, you know, different character types are going to have different skills and traits. And mm-hmm. you can't create a character that's going to be the best at everything so you got to have like your healer and you got to have your mage and you know if you're gonna get to like the nerdy world of warcraft or call of duty like you gotta have your sniper and your gunner and your helicopter like you need a team and so that's you apply it to business as well it's like you don't need to be great at everything you just need to align yourself and the common theme of all of that that venn diagram mm-hmm. is how you approach it what your daily routine is what you do when things go off track maybe you, you take care of your health and that's, that's where we do find overlap. But I think that's, that's the big thing is just trying to find people and not, not just silo yourself in strength conditioning field and industry being like, dude, you're the best skateboarder, photographer, hairstylist on like around, like let's hang out and you can learn stuff from them. Yeah. I was about to say the more diverse you can get with that too, the more you're going to be able to expand and grow. And I think that's the opposite of your fixed mindset example earlier. Now that's like growth mindset to a T. Um, We touched on it earlier with entrepreneurship and down dog athletics. What inspired you to start that up and make that your full-time thing? Yeah, no, I think the big catalyst for me was feeling really stuck when I was 27, super stuck was living in Portland it was like just not where I wanted to be with the people I was dating, not where I wanted to be with my job. Like I had a good job at an ad agency that was pretty well known in the, in the really in the world. But it's like, I just wasn't happy in a bunch of different areas. And I started going to yoga with a guy I played baseball with. Cause he's said it helped him be more flexible and there was babes. And at the time I was like, great, that's all I need to do. I'll get more flexible. And it's like you go in looking for one thing and then something just totally Trojan horses you. And I ended up doing yoga for like a six month span and I would just do it all the time, which then got me into being like, Hey, I guess meditation's not that weird. Oh, I guess it's not that weird to keep a journal. Oh, I guess it's not that weird to 
you know, look at yourself in the mirror and reflect and, and get kind of open. And the level of clarity that I was able to create with that, again, I thought I was going in for like all these physical reasons or superficial reasons. And then next thing I, I remember being in a yoga class that it hit me like, dude, you didn't quit baseball because you were, you'd hit your ceiling. Like you quit because you gave up, you quit because you had this like really bad mindset. And most people do not want to go to that place where they have to face those deeper questions and answer and face those demons or whatever it is that is at the root that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. of why your life is where it's at. And so just finding that level of clarity, then I hired a life coach who, you know, helped me dive into that even more. And from like, I started working with him in November, 2017 decided to become a personal trainer and make a little bit of side money and like here's another thing that was kind of funny like, fixed mindset wise i remember telling him i was like man if i could just make two thousand dollars side money as a trainer like that i, I don't know, believe that that's possible but if someone was willing to pay me that much or a couple people were like that would be great and he's like okay like we got to work on that as well but l- like let's get you to believe that you can actually pass the test first and so it's like yoga was really this catalyst for me like uprooting a lot of sediment that had really settled at the deeper foundations of my life and who I was. And when I stirred all those up by getting really still and quiet and leaning into that light side of, of like my energy and, and, and who I am, I just got a lot more clarity. And what was personal training certain January turned in the first client in March turned into 30 hours by like June on top of working at Amazon turned into August, 2018 leaving. And so in a span of nine months, I went from, Oh, I should try and make some side money. I can do it personal training to like, Oh, okay. I can now leave my career completely at Amazon and start down dog athletics. And so at the start, I'd say like, it was all about trying to fit in yoga and training. And it was this, this balance of different energies and different perspectives, the mental and the physical, and it's still a hundred percent with where I'm at now. I've started to shift a little bit more. I spent six months at Barry's boot camp, spent a bunch of time teaching yoga, 200 hour training there. And now I'm just like, all right, it's like, it's mindfulness and it's training and it's muscle. Like I call all my programs, mindful muscle. And it's making sure that you're training the mind the same way you train the body. It's making sure that you're prioritizing mental health the same way you would physical health. And there's so many things that I learned from yoga that you don't necessarily have to do yoga to see benefits from. Like I always say like Mm -hmm. flexibility doesn't change your life. Meditating 90 days in a row, you're going to see some stuff change just because you're going to get more clarity. You're going to get more awareness. And when you have that, it's another Brian Kane thing, awareness, strategy, action. But so many people just want to act without a strategy. Some people get it smart enough to apply a strategy, but they don't know where they are. And so like, I could give you the best map, give you the best sailors, but if you don't know where you're at in the ocean, like you're not getting anywhere, bud. You're going to sink. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a huge point too. getting clear on your start. Everyone. That's why I, I don't know how you feel about group fitness models. I tend to not like them at least the majority of them, because a lot of the places, at least around me, like you walk in and it's just like, everyone's starting at the same spot. And that you and I both know, like everyone's not at the same starting point, but it's the same thing with like meditation, mindfulness as well. Like everyone's at a different starting point. And the sooner you're able to meet them with where they're actually at, 
the more success you're going to see as a coach, but they're going to see as a client as well. hundred percent. It's, I always say like, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. There's good and bad and everything. Group fitness. If you have never moved before, that's a great place to start. If you love the community and it gets you up and moving, great. We have a bigger moving problem than we have mm-hmm. a blown out shoulder problem. Don't get me wrong. Like I see a lot of blown out shoulders and I'm like, okay, well that's because you went into a class or everyone decided that we're going to snatch hundred pounds over our head without doing a, an assessment. That's beside the point. We're talking group fitness. I just think the, the analogy that I would apply to that is everyone thinks that like this diet should work for me because it worked for 20 other people. But that's mm-hmm. like saying, Oh, you should date Becky, the blonde that is this is that as an accountant because I did, and that'll work for you. It's like, no, there's 7 billion people on the planet. We're all going to find someone that's unique and individual to us. So why would we say that, oh, you should do one of six diets or you should do this group fitness class that's going to just apply a template over 30 individuals? Like I said, pros and cons to all of it. And something's definitely better than nothing. But I would say like the more you want to level up and grow, that's going to require more and more tailored approaches and coaching or, or, you know, whatever it is that you're applying it to. Yeah. I think that's really well said. One of the last things I want to touch on is kept referring back to it, the light and the dark side of training and just the way that we are as humans. How have you found in coaching to intertwine the two? Because I think I'll have you give a brief background of each, but I think each of them has characteristics that can be beneficial in given moments. It's just when we fall two into one over the other is when we start to see bad things arise. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Really. It's just, it's a principle of balance. Like I said, I'm a big star Wars fan. So that's like an analogy that I love to play on, but you could, you could look at it training, like, right. It's training Mm -hmm. hard and recovering it's mindfulness and it's being hyper-focused and everyone's going to be on a different spectrum to that. Like I get people who are super dark side dominant. I'm like, Hey, maybe you don't need to work out seven days a week, do yoga three days a week and work like a crazy job. Maybe you need to like cut the training in half and get a little bit more into like the recovery side. Or you get people that are just like, Oh, I just need to go harder. I need to go faster. Like I need more and more and more and more and more. It's like, dude, maybe you need less but then you can see people on the other side who are are so maybe light side dominant it's like hey like you can't just meditate on everything like you also need to go act Mm -hmm. right and so figuring out where you're at and we're all going to be successful at different degrees on that spectrum right like someone who's super into training like just needs to get pulled five percent one way like i needed to get pulled pretty far to find my balance and yoga helped me do that but then I went so far into the yoga side where I started to get injured because I created too much flexibility or I started to, you know, you can look at like the masculine and the feminine energies. If you want to look at like spirituality and all that stuff, like there's always got to be a balance and you got to find your equilibrium. And I think this, this whole concept and philosophy is stuff that I have my entire career to, to grow on and to mold and to really condense so that it's digestible. But if I'm just going to apply it to someone I'm working with now, I'm like, okay, great. How's your biofeedback? How's your recovery? Are we meditating? Are we journaling? Are we creating, cultivating mindfulness? Great. That's your light side bucket. All right. Are we training really hard? Are we making sure that like the nutrition's getting us where we want to get? Are we being super focused and dialed into the goals that we're working towards? And there's always going to be like this kind of yin and yang weave to those two. It's not like mm-hmm. going to the gym is exclusively like dark side, Darth Vader. But like, I think the people who, 
are able to be the most balanced are the ones that are able to remain even keel, the ones that don't get too emotional, but also are able to feel. And for me, it's just like a constant reminder and goal to always be auditing myself to notice when like, Hey, you're overthinking things too much. Like just go and act. Or maybe I just work like a maniac for three weeks and went in the exact opposite direction because I didn't take time to be mindful and like where I actually wanted to go and create that clarity. So for me, like that's, again, you can apply that to anything, but if you're just going to look at it through the training lens, like there's mobility and stability and there's training and recovery. There's, you know, the balance between all that. And you just got to help people find out like, Hey, you're too far over here. Slide on over. I love that. I think dude, in this conversation, I don't believe that you had a fixed mindset when you played baseball. Cause I'm like, you're so light years above where that, you know, fixed mindset usually is for people. But I think you're a prime example of really for everyone out there, no matter where your mindset is, it's fluid. Like it can always change for the better, so to speak. Like you were able to, to shift. If you had to sum up the athletic mindset or really just your mentality in general into a phrase or a sentence, what would that look like? It's going to be so cheesy. It's like the process, right? You got to enjoy success enough to believe that when you do things great, you're, you're a good person. I was talking about this with Sam on his podcast where he sometimes refuses to pat himself on the back, even though he's generated a lot of success. If you don't internalize that, you're never going to allow yourself to feel good about yourself. At the same time, if you're just super focused on like the achievements, like the, the higher you level up, this is another video game analogy I love, like you start playing Candy Crush, the first 10, 15 levels, you're just crushing, crushing, crushing. You get that like, like motivation because you're constantly seeing success. Well, when you're in your 10th year of training, growth takes a long time. And so the higher up you get, the more you're going to have to really love the grind versus being like, oh, like when's my next trophy or when's my next this, right? The, the people who win like the world championship or the Olympics and anything, like they got to wait a long time. So you got to love the 1,200 days in between whatever it is that you're doing. You know, like gratitude's a great way to, to do that. I, I caught myself doing that last night when I was super bummed that everything's going to get shut down in Seattle. I was like, man, everything sucks. I hate this. Ugh. I was like being a, a bum for a couple hours. And then I was like, all right, wait, hold on. Like, let's whip out the journal. And I'm just like, boom, here's like all the things that I have, all the things that I'm grateful for. Here's reasons why this is the best thing ever. I'd actually say to, to steal this from some other friends, like best day ever is a mindset of some buddies that have this brand called live better. And if you can just love the process and literally look at everything as like, this is the best meal ever. This is the best workout ever. It might suck, but it's the one that you're doing right now. And if you can just be present with that, present with the process, call it that. Mm. Boom. Present with the process, three word and be grateful about it. We might have to like steal the trademark from the 76ers on that one, but I think we might be good there. Is that what they say? Present <laughs> they, with the process? No, no. They are, they're trust the process. Oh, okay. Trust the process. I like your spin on it though, because I think you really do benefit from being in the moment there and not caught up either in the past or looking ahead to the future. That's, That's what they said thing. was Michael Jordan's best ability in that last dance is the mm -hmm. last one. They're like, yeah, he was so present all the time. And 
again, sounds cheesy. It sounds like it's not that big of a deal. It's like breathing. You tell people to breathe better, work on their breathing. They're like, okay, I should trust the process. And it's like, that's literally the foundation of everything. If you can get that dialed in, so many things will change. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, I'm sure breathing played a fundamental role in your marathon running. Like if you weren't 100%. able to control your breath, there's no way you break three hours. Yeah, I think honestly, I don't have the studies for this, but I started working on just my, my rib cage positioning and making sure that from a core stability standpoint, I wasn't in too much anterior pelvic tilt and making sure that I had that stability and had that breathing. I was listening to James Nestor's book breath and was trying to like nasal breathe more. And don't get me wrong. I did. I train for four months. Yeah. But does that mean that four months of marathon training should have me go from a one thirty half marathon that I ran 2019 to a two fifty seven marathon, like a year later. And like half of that, I was just strength training. Like for me, like I'll go training that was the biggest game changer for me. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, you're very similar to, I swam distance. That's my background. And like, I would do that weird stuff all the time of where somehow like you would double my shorter distance time. And like, I, that would be slower than whatever my best time was at the longer distance. Yeah. And like, I don't know how I did it. It just, and I couldn't sprint any faster. Like if I tried, I promise the effort was there. Paul, this was a, an awesome conversation, man. I just want to, want to acknowledge you for being super present. You, we touched on that of being a very key characteristic of high performers. You do a fantastic job of that just in talking with you. And I love your mission, what you're doing with Down Dog Athletics and all the coaching. I think it's really interesting to see other people out there trying to pave it forward for the younger self. You know, What's next for you? Where can those kind of listening in Keep up with you. Keep up with your company. Yeah. So everything's going to be down dog athletics, Paul underscore Klingon for me personally. But I think the thing that I'm most excited about is growing and creating more clarity. And it's like, all right, everything I deliver to people is in this lens of mindful muscle. It's like, how do I deliver on the mindful? How do I deliver on the muscle? That's honestly where I'm super excited about because I've, I've been massaging this with everyone that I work with for so long. And now getting to a point where whether I'm working with someone in person, online, or they're just downloading an ebook or some sort of video program that I create, like it's all going to be super aligned. And for the first time in like three and three years since, since leaving Amazon, like I feel really clear on what it is that I want to do. And again, it's a testament to working with a bunch of different coaches and mentors and constantly spending as much time in the gym and like in my journal or in my mind as possible. And don't get me wrong, like five years from now, maybe I'm doing something that's completely different, but I can trust and know that it's going to be aligned with what like my soul and journey is, is supposed to be doing. Yeah. It sounds like you got some clarity around a North star, so to speak in your just everyday life. Yeah. Which makes it honestly makes it so fun where it's like, again, I talked about it right at the beginning, but in my mind, I don't have, it's not like I'm trying to do this by 35. It's like, I've got 70 more years, hopefully to live. So what's the rush? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm working and rushing towards That's what I say. Yeah. But there's, there's a way to do both, right? There's a way to, to still move forward, but at a controlled pace, a sustainable pace. Yep. Yep. Back oh. in that long distance cardio. 
I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Paul's story has me already thinking of ways I can show up both more intentional in my training and in the rest of my life. Share this episode with someone in your life who could benefit from a more mindful approach and take a minute to rate and leave a review on iTunes as that helps us continue to grow in the new year here. Remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you can change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.